Hello, everybody. As you know, we, uh, we're doing things a little differently for the foreseeable future, uh, and that's our attempt to prevent any unnecessary spread of the, the coronavirus, which is it's affecting so many people and so many communities around the world already. At the same time, it's, it's our desire that you would experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, through this message today. I think more than at any other time, we need to be relying on God at the moment. We need to, we need to have our, our minds renewed and, and we need to have our faith strengthened because of what we're facing. So I'd love us right now to take a moment to pray together uh, and then we can come to the word after that. So won't you pray with me? Our Father, we, we just thank you for this uh, amazing opportunity today under very unusual circumstances to call upon your name, to trust in you, and to rely on you. Father, I pray for a deep ministry of the Holy Spirit through the word today. I pray that people will hear not just my voice, but Lord, they will hear your voice. And Lord, your words will bring freedom. Your words will bring courage. Your words will bring inspiration. Your words will bring hope. And your words will bring faith. And Lord, so we, we really want to pray today. Help us as we navigate this unusual time that we're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who, who normally worship with us at Connect Church, you'll know that we've been going through a series uh, in the book of Genesis, which we have called Where Faith and Life Intersect. And the reason we, we are speaking about that is because Genesis has so many amazing accounts of how people of faith navigated what life dished up to them. And maybe this is one of those times when we need to take our faith in Jesus and ask the question, how does this help me to navigate this, the, the situation that we're facing at the moment. The account that we're going to read from, from Genesis today reads like one of those human tragedies we so often hear about in the global village uh, that we're living in. To make some sense of what, of what happens to Joseph, we have to remember that there's a beginning and end to his story. It begins with him growing up in a family where he becomes his father's favorite. And, and interestingly enough, and, and I guess we all understand that, that that begins to, to drive a wedge between him and his brothers. Most of us know Joseph as, as the person who had a coat of many colors. Uh, perhaps a better description of that is it was an ornate coat, which set him apart from the, the rest of his, his brothers. The coats they wore would have been Coats that were shorter that they would use for working. Joseph's coat would have been a longer coat that would have, in a sense, set him apart. But Joseph also has two dreams that drive an even bigger wedge between him and his brothers. And these dreams are both pictures of what was going to happen in the future where he would be in a position of authority, where his mother and father would bow down before him. His brothers would bow down before him in acknowledgement of the authority that he held. And while Joseph takes the liberty of sharing these dreams with his brothers and his mothers and father, 
it was not exactly the best way to build relationships when there was already so much tension in the home. And in a sense, it's no surprise when his brothers take things into their own hands and sell him into slavery. Bye-bye, Joseph. No more problems with Joseph. So let's read this account. If you've got a Bible with you or a, a cell phone, you may want to turn to Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to read virtually the whole chapter because it gives us an in-depth account of, of what happened to Joseph when he was sold by his brothers. But we're going to, we're going to start in uh, verse 3 and reading from verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, listen to this, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's the second time we reminded that they hated Joseph. And he said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And listen to this. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers, the Bible says, were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, which was his father, said to Joseph, As you know, our brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And so he said to them, Go and see if all's well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are, where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. But they saw him at a distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Look at the reputation that he had with his brothers. This man is the, the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him 
from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of this robe that he wore, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the system and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it. And he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. In mourning, I will go to the grave to my son. In mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. And so his father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the God. Now, now there's one thing that really stands out from this story, which is so helpful to us today, and that is that whatever is happening in our lives, whatever is going on right now, that this is not the end of the story. What we're going through might be confusing, it might be discouraging, but we must remember this. This is not the end of the story. Just about 10 days ago, I, I met a lady uh, in Pretoria who after only being married for three years, whose, her husband was killed in an accident just before their first child was due to be born. And even in tragic circumstances like this, we need to remember that this is not the end of the story. As we go back to, to Joseph's story, what is about to unfold is in the context of the fact that God has spoken to him twice. And the way that things begin to play out appears to be a contradiction of the very things that God had revealed to him. Soon after these dreams, every dream Joseph may have had for his life was shattered. That day it seemed as though what he had seen in his dream would never ever be realized. That day, his comfortable world turned into a nightmare when he was sold to some slave traders. 
that day discovered how cruel people can be and how quickly life can throw us a curveball. I remember some years ago, it was on a Christmas day, when, when one of our leaders in the church, one of our elders in the church, discovered that he had a cancerous tumor on his bowel, which, which led to time in hospital and surgery and chemo. Isn't it interesting? It all happened on the day we were all celebrating, and yet he hears this incredibly bad news. There is a message for all of us who are watching or listening today. Whatever is going down right now, that even though we're facing an international crisis at the moment, this is not the end of the story. The end of the story will be written by God if we will let him. For only God is able to redeem what is happening and turn it into something good. Only God can take those curved balls and turn them into something that makes sense again. And only God is able to take our story and turn it into his story where he gets the glory. Even when there have been terrible things that have happened. Joseph's story doesn't end here. It ends in Egypt, where he realizes that God has taken all the hardships that he's endured, all the injustices that he's been through over the last 13 years, and turns them into something good. I think this story helps us to put our lives back into perspective again. And we can only do that when we know how the story ends. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, and I'll refer to this a few times in this message, Joseph says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives, which is now being done. You see, in this account of Joseph's story, this account that we are reading together, we discover that, that God is with us, even in the most unlikely places and situations. And although Joseph's world has fallen apart, God's still with him, even when he ends up as a slave in Potiphar's house. Listen to Genesis 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered. He, he, he has, his whole world has fallen apart. We, we need to remember here was this, this, uh, this spoiled young man who was treated differently to the rest of his brothers. He's got this, this coat that his fathers had made for him. It sets him apart. Everything is, is perfect in his world. He receives superior treatment. And suddenly it's all taken away from him. And he's sold to what we would call human traffickers today. And he's, he's taken to another country and he's sold into slavery. And being in slavery in those days was terrible. And there in, in slavery in Egypt, a foreign country, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. And after landing up in prison because he refused to, to sleep with Potiphar's wife, which is the next chapter in the story, we discover that the Bible tells us 
that while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness, showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I believe one of the most significant aspects of the story is the reminder that God is with us even when it appears otherwise. Isn't it interesting that we often determine and decide whether God is with us based on circumstances? If it's all going well, if I feel blessed, if something special is happening to me. Here, nothing special is happening. In fact, the very opposite is happening. And yet we discover that God is with Joseph. And although Joseph had done absolutely nothing to deserve it, God is there in the very last place we would expect to find him. You know, God is with us when we lose a loved one. And that's happened to some of you who are listening and watching this. God is there in when we've been treated unjustly. And if we look back, even in the history of our nation, there's been so much injustice. And in fact, there's still so much injustice. I want to say, even although that's happened, God is with you. God is with us when our marriage has fallen apart. God is with us when it seems as though everything that He said is not working out the way we thought it would. And while we are able to praise God and we're meant to praise God in good times, we are also meant to to know the presence of God in those difficult times because we are told, and God was with Joseph. But putting things back into perspective in our lives also means that as God's presence changes us, what we are facing begins to to change as well. You, you see, the way we respond in these different, difficult circumstances makes a difference to the circumstances themselves. It's, it's worth noting that both Potiphar and the prison warden noticed that God is with Joseph. Something about Joseph was noticeably different in the way that he responded, in the way that he behaved, in his whole attitude. In Genesis 39, 3 and 4, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Isn't it interesting? He, here is this foreigner, this unbeliever, this man who'd, who maybe had no concept and notion of Israel's God, yet he acknowledges that the Lord, Yahweh, was with, with Joseph. If you go down further in that same chapter to to verses 20 and 22, Genesis 9, 20 and 22. It says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I think it's when we know that God is with us that we are able to be different, to respond differently, to behave differently, to have a different attitude. And when we are different, everything we are going through changes as well. Sometimes circumstances do not change. Things don't work out the way we hoped. And sometimes in those circumstances, we can end up feeling as though God has deserted us, or God has let us down, or God doesn't care what we're going through. And while we would 
like our circumstances to change, we all know that they don't always do that. But what often makes all the difference is when we change and our attitude is different and our approach is different. And what helps us to change is when we know and when we remember and we remind ourselves and our minds are renewed and the Holy Spirit witnesses with us that God, the God who is the creator of the universe, is with us. I think being able to put things back into perspective is really important, especially in the times in which we are living. I've discovered how, how my own perspective affects my response to what's happening in life. When my, when my perspective is right and when I see things through the eyes of faith and when I go back to God's Word and when I pray through things, I discover that my whole response to what's happening in my life changes. Because suddenly I'm looking at things through the eyes of faith. Suddenly there's this realization that God is with me. And I'm his child and he's got his hand upon me. And God is with you if you know him. And his hand is upon you. And he is working out things for his glory. So what has been so helpful is to know that as in Joseph's life, God is able to redeem any situation, I want to emphasize that, God is able to redeem any situation and turn it into something that is for His glory. There are things that happened that happen that are beyond our control. But you know something? They are never beyond God's ability to redeem. Can I say that again just for emphasis? We, we, we are going to discover there, there are things that, are ha- that will happen that are beyond our control, but they are never beyond God's ability to redeem. And it's only as we come to the end of the story, the end of Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 50, that this becomes evident. And the only explanation we are given in the Bible for a prisoner and a slave who was sold by his brothers lied about by Potiphar's wife, forgotten by somebody that he had helped in prison, and ends up as the second most powerful man in Egypt under Pharaoh, is that God took this tragedy and turned it into something that was for his glory. Pharaoh himself says to his officials, and we read it in Genesis 41, And verse 38, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Or as Joseph himself says to his brothers, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, let me read it again. You intended to harm me, but God, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, Joseph didn't know how it was all going to work out for him. He just kept on being faithful all the time, all the way along. We know the end of the story. We know how it all worked out. We know that God turned this all around for his glory. And you see, when it comes to salvation, When it comes to to Jesus saving us, 
It means allowing God to finish our story. For God to redeem what has happened in our lives and cause all things to work together for good, for the good of them that love Him. What the end of our story will look like, no one knows but God. You don't know it, I don't know it, only God does. And that's why as we journey through the season, as, and, and that's why as we, as we face some of the, the curveballs and the challenges that life brings to us, the only way to navigate that is keep trusting in the one who writes the end of the story. Maybe like me, you did not trust God with the beginning of your story or at the beginning of your story. But you can let him write the end of it. He's already done that for so many people. And in the place of heartache and pain and disappointment and shame, they've found God's grace and they've discovered God's goodness and they've experienced God's love. Joseph's statement in Genesis 50 and verse 20 is echoed in the New Testament in Romans where put where Paul puts all of the hardships and the persecution that, that early believers were facing into some kind of perspective. You know this scripture so well. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of them who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to leave you with that scripture today as we have looked at the life of Joseph, as we remind ourselves that wherever we are right now, that is not the end of the story. And if we will allow him, God will write the end of that story. If we, as we keep trusting him, as we remain faithful, we will, rem, we will be reminded that God will write the end of our story. Wouldn't you like God to write the end of your story? Wouldn't you like today to say, God, today I just want to surrender to you. I just want to place what I'm going through in your hands. Maybe it is a tragedy. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe there's been an accident. Maybe there's been an injustice. I don't know what's happened in your life. Maybe you, you, you've lost a lot of money on the stock exchange. Maybe you're worried about your finances. Why not let God write the rest of the story? But he'll only do that if we will allow him. You see, when we take things into our own hands and do it our way, we kind of step out of what he wants to do in our lives. And I want to remind you today, God loves you. God cares for you. And God is good all the time. And there comes a time when we need to make that choice intentionally. And say, God, I'm going to let you write my story. And so in a minute, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to allow just a moment of silence. A moment where you have an opportunity to say, God, this is something in my life that I want to place in your hands. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that's listening to me right now. Maybe somebody that's watching this right now. You have never committed your life to Christ. You've never said... Jesus, I want to invite you to be my Lord and Savior. You've never come to that place of repenting of your sin. And you're saying today, I want you, God, to write the rest of my story. It begins the day that you commit your life and surrender to Jesus. That's the day it begins. 
Maybe it's, it's, it's a different challenge, and maybe it's a, a season that you're going through. Why not say, God, will you write the end of the story? I'm going to trust you, just like Joseph did. So let's bow together, let's pray together. I'm going to allow just, as I said, a few minutes silence, or a minute or so silence, and then I will pray for you. So let's do that right now. Holy Spirit, I I pray, even as people are are busy praying, even as people are surrendering things to you, that you'd remind them, just alert them to the fact that you are with them. Or there's some people facing fear at the moment. Fear is holding them captive. It's it's in fact paralyzing them. They're concerned about money and family or a business or what's going to happen with this crisis that's going on. God, we want to say today, will you write the end of the story? Well, there are people that are listening to this that right now they're going through a financial crisis. Lord, will you give them the grace? Holy Spirit, will you come and minister to them? And will you give them the grace to allow you to write the end of their story? Well, there may be people who are facing an incredible marriage crisis at the moment. Things are are really going pear-shaped. God, will you give them the grace to allow you to write the end of their story. To trust you with how it's going to all work out and pan out. Lord, we recognize today just our limitations. Lord, there's so many things we think that we can control that we actually can't control. I want to pray today, Holy Spirit, may there be people all over this city who will be willing to say, God, will you write the end of my story? I pray God's ministry to you. I pray that you'd experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray that, you, that courage would enter into you. I pray that hope would arise in you. I pray that your faith would be strong. And that the presence of God will carry you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening today. And I want to to invite you each week to listen to uh, our Sermon of the Week. If you go onto our website, simply click on our website, and you'll be able to listen to what we call the Sermon of the Week. It's easy and it's accessible. Uh, You simply need to go onto the Connect Church website. May the Lord bless you. And may God have His hand on you during this week. In Jesus' name, amen.